Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to study the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. The reason for our stress on the Kingdom of God is simply that it was Jesus' central message. The heart and the soul of everything Jesus preached revolves around this central idea of the Kingdom of God. And yet amazingly, in much contemporary preaching, you would imagine that Jesus had done no preaching. All he came to do, according to so much of what we hear, was to die, to be buried, and to be raised again. I even heard it said that Jesus came to do three days' work, to die and to be buried and to be raised. But such a theory eliminates the necessity of Jesus' all-important preaching of the salvation gospel of the kingdom of God. I want to suggest a key which will be of assistance to you in your own Bible study. I suggest that from cover to cover, the Bible is a book about kingship. Messiah Jesus is the chosen king of Israel, and his message is about God's coming kingdom. Now, believers ought to be vitally interested in this kingdom because God is inviting them to be kings with his son, Jesus. A royal messianic drama pervades the scriptures. From the time that Adam and Eve were created, they were invited to kingship on behalf of God on the earth. They lost that right to rule, but Jesus regained it, and he invites us now to take part in the preparation for that restored kingdom of God on the earth when he returns. It seems to us that evangelism will flourish greatly when our hearts and minds are filled with the amazing royal plan that God is executing for our benefit and for the world. One of the ways in which Christians in the New Testament are distinguished from many contemporary churchgoers is that those early Christians had a strong and clear hope for the future. Now, they learned that hope when they accepted the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. You'll find that Jesus always preached the kingdom. That was the purpose for which he reckoned he'd been sent, Luke 4.43. And in Acts 8.12, early Christians were not baptized until they'd accepted the great truths about the gospel of the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, Acts 8, verse 12. And you'll find at the end of Paul's ministry, as he brings his ministry to a close in Rome, that he was always preaching the very same gospel as Jesus had preached, the gospel of the kingdom of God. You'll find that recorded for us by Luke in Acts chapter 28, verses 23 and 31. The gospel, you see, is more than just what happened and what is now happening. It has a strong orientation towards the future. Listen to Paul, for example, in Colossians 1, verses 4 and 5. Paul speaks there of the faith of Christians and the love which they have for each other because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of the truth, the gospel. And so you see, the hope of the Christian faith had been laid out before these Christian believers in the gospel, contained in the gospel message, the gospel of the kingdom, there was indeed a tremendous hope for the future. But today when we hear the gospel preached, we often hear about what happened, Jesus died and rose again, what is happening now, He's at the right hand of the Father, but very little about what is going to happen. And yet in the New Testament, the future hope, the future element of the gospel is all important. Now, Paul spoke there of a hope that they'd heard about in the gospel, 
and it was laid up for them in heaven. Now, that should not mislead you into thinking that you go to heaven to get that hope. No, the hope is going to come with Christ from heaven to the earth. The exact opposite, in fact, of what you may have been led to believe. When something is laid up for you in heaven in the Bible, it doesn't mean to say that you have to go to heaven to enjoy it. Rather, the idea is that Jesus is going to bring that reward with him from heaven. You see, the idea is really very simple. The treasure which you are now laying up in heaven is going to come with Jesus back to the earth and you're going to receive it when he returns to set up his kingdom. So that hope then is laid up with God now in heaven. We find exactly the same thing said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Paul looked forward at the end of his ministry to his own great future as a Christian. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, Paul said, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, Paul stretches forward to the second coming of Jesus when he expects to receive his reward. He doesn't talk about going to heaven the moment he dies. Before the second coming, all the awards and rewards and prizes of the Christian life are to be enjoyed only for the first time at the second coming of Jesus. You remember in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Paul spoke of the dead Christians being raised and the surviving Christians being caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so then, Paul said, in this way we shall ever be with the Lord. Now that makes no sense at all if in fact those dead Christians had been with Jesus all that time. How could it possibly be said that in this way, as to say at the second coming, and the rapture of the saints, post-tribulational rapture of the saints, that the Christians were going to be in this way with the Lord. That would simply not be true if, in fact, they had been with the Lord prior to the resurrection. Everything in the New Testament focuses on the future resurrection of all the saints of all the ages to join Jesus in co-rulership in the kingdom of God on the earth. Colossians 1.4 speaks of our hope being laid up in heaven, it speaks of that hope having been conveyed to us in the gospel message as preached by Paul and the other apostles. There's another verse in 1 Peter which gives us exactly the same picture of our future hope. In 1 Peter 1 verse 4 we read that Christians are to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So you see, that salvation is stored up with God now in heaven in preparation for the revealing of that reward at the last time, that's to say at the second coming of Jesus. Paul expected to gain his crown only at the future reappearance of Jesus to establish his kingdom, and not before. Discarding the idea of an interim visit to heaven will greatly clarify your reading of the New Testament. There are not two objectives for New Testament Christians, one objective only, and that is to attain to the resurrection to occur at the second coming of Jesus. Until that time, Christians should be content to rest in the sleep of death, pending the resurrection, when they'll be called out of their graves, caught up to meet the Lord in the air as he descends to take up his position in Jerusalem as king on the throne of David. The system that God has revealed to us in the New Testament 
is exceedingly simple. We're going to meet the Lord as he descends from heaven. He's on his way to the earth. He's not visiting the earth. He's coming back to the earth. He descends from heaven. We go out to meet him and join him in his descent to the earth. He will then establish the throne of God as the kingdom of God. The idea of a disembodied soul going to heaven prior to the resurrection is an alien intrusion, a usurping idea which complicates and confuses the Bible in a most unfortunate way. That idea of souls being able to subsist consciously apart from bodies does not come from our Bible, but from the injection of alien Neoplatonic ideas from the second century onwards. These ideas in the course of several centuries were built into the creeds of Christendom, but they do not belong there, and they should not reside in the minds of those who intend to be instructed by the Word of God itself, by the Scripture itself. The future hope of Christians is resurrection. The whole man dies, and the whole man will be raised to life to enjoy immortality in the future kingdom of God on the earth. Blessed are the meek, said Jesus. They are going to inherit the earth, which of course is the same thing as saying that they are going to rule with him for a thousand years. Now that promise of co-rulership with Christ is a fundamental and central theme of our New Testament. On many occasions we learn that the destiny of the saints is to rule with Christ in the future kingdom. Unfortunately, vague promises of heaven when you die, or disembodiment in realms beyond the sky, in some super-celestial region, these hopes have entirely overshadowed the biblical hope of reigning and ruling with Christ in the kingdom. Let me remind you of some of those passages which stress that the destiny of Christians is to function as administrators and rulers with Christ in the future kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 6.2, and I'm reading here from the Moffat translation, Paul said, Don't you know that the saints are going to govern the world? And if the world is going to come under your jurisdiction, are you not able to settle your affairs within the church? In 2 Timothy 2.12, we read a kind of Christian slogan to the effect that if we suffer with Christ now, we will reign with him in the kingdom in the future. In Revelation 5, verse 10, the whole purpose of Christianity is summarized in the fact that Jesus has chosen men of all nations to be the kingdom of God, and they shall reign upon the earth. The same fact is stated in Revelation 3.21 and Revelation 2.26. We learn there of power being given to the saints in the future kingdom, authority to rule the nations according to the promise of Psalm 2, where we find that the nations are going to be required to submit to the authority of the Messiah. Again, in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 4, an extraordinarily interesting passage about the future millennial kingdom, where once again we find all the saints of all the ages ruling with Christ for a thousand years. The picture there, by the way, is of those who have been beheaded and coming to life. Now, that, of course, is not a picture of conversion. It's nothing to do with the kingdom of God in the present. It has to do with the state of affairs beyond the resurrection. It's a story there about those who have had their heads chopped off coming to life. That's not a figurative, allegorical resurrection. That's a literal description of resurrection. And the time period involved in that thousand years is obviously then a time period following the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. Now, all of these promises about the future kingdom of God on the earth 
and the role of the saints as co-rulers with Jesus in that thousand-year kingdom and onwards, all of these promises are the natural confirmation and clarification of the original promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 13 and 15 and 17. The promises made to Abraham was the father of the faithful. Those promises were that one day Abraham would possess the world. You'll find that promise brought forward into the New Testament in the writings of Paul, Romans 4.13. Paul there speaks about the promise to Abraham and his seed that he would be ruler or heir of the world. Now that promise follows naturally from the original covenant made with Abraham in the book of Genesis. Now that covenant granted not only progeny or seed to Abraham, but also land and property, the possession of the world, in fact. That covenant with Abraham is extended graciously to the Gentiles. So Paul there speaks of the promise that Abraham would be heir of the world. He speaks of it in terms of Gentiles and Jews, collectively now the new Israel of God, the new people of God, in whom the promises of Abraham are going to be fulfilled. Abraham, you remember, as Paul said in Romans 4, is the father of the faithful, and we are said as Christians to be of the faith of Abraham. Our time is running out for today. We resume this topic of the promises made to Abraham and their relation to the kingdom of God in our next program. Join us again as we continue to investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.